0: Today's uh, reading ties together two stories that we don't usually hear together. The first, uh, the request of James and John to Jesus that they be allowed to sit at his right and left hand in his glory, and then the story that is often called the healing of blind Bartimaeus. But we probably need to rethink that term, that adjective blind, in reference to Bartimaeus, and and not just as a matter of political correctness, because Bartimaeus is, as we will learn, the first to truly see more clearly than anyone else that Jesus is the long-expected Savior of Israel. As we heard in verse 46, Jesus and his entourage arrive in Jericho. It's a town at the base of a mountain road where Jewish pilgrims begin a 15-mile uphill trudge to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. Hearing that Jesus is nearby, a blind beggar begins to disturb the peace. He is so disruptive, as verse 48 tells us, that many ordered him sternly to be quiet. And this is another one of those times where the Bible says it a lot more nicely then it probably deserves to be translated. It probably should be translated, everybody yelled at him to shut up. And why is that? Because Bartimaeus isn't only yelling, what he is saying is dangerous nonsense. He's calling Jesus, son of David, which is crazy, politically charged, dangerous talk, especially at the onset of Passover, where the Romans are on uh, tender hooks about a a possible Jewish rebellion every every time Passover arrives. Remember now that, that the Gospel of Mark, unlike Matthew and Luke, doesn't have any of those genealogies that connect uh, Jesus uh, to, to David. Uh, there's no story of him as a child. Yeah, my, Jesus is an adult. And yet this blind beggar is yelling at Jesus that he's the son of David as if, as if a carpenter termed rabbi from the no-count town of Nazareth could actually belong to the royal lineage of Israel's greatest king. And what's more is that Mark's account of Bartimaeus' actions are consistent with what he's saying, his belief that Jesus is the true heir. King David's throne. So let's look at some of what reveals that he believes exactly what he's saying, that Jesus is this long-anticipated Messiah. First, Bartimaeus uses that term, son of David, when he calls to Jesus. This is unmistakably a messianic term. Which is why, as I said, it's dangerous to say in connection with the Passover, because David was, you know, the, the great warrior king of Israel. And then second, notice that the, the first thing that Bartimaeus asked for, it's not um, healing. The first thing he asked for, he says, have mercy on me. Which means he does not presume to have standing to come into the presence of royalty. So it, uh, uh, the, the idea of, of throwing yourself on the mercy of the court, it doesn't come out of the judicial system. It, it comes out of the royal court, where people would request that the king have mercy or queen, have mercy before they granted them an audience. And this is, a, you know, the monarch is the final appellate court judge part. <laughs> and we still observe this ancient practice today when uh, the president or governors can, can um, uh, pardon those who have been justly convicted of a crime. But thirdly, it is only after Jesus grants Bartimaeus's plea to be heard, his case to be heard, uh, that Bartimaeus then asks to be healed, to see, which reveals that he knows that this messianic king is not a warrior, but a healer of brokenness and strife as prophesied in Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. And then... As a final act of allegiance to his king, Bartimaeus then follows Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Now, to all other eyes, maybe including our our own, but certainly then, Bartimaeus is just a blind beggar, and Jesus is just a charismatic leader. But what Mark wants us to see in this moment is the interaction between a king who is rich in mercy and one of his humble subjects. Now, did you get all that when I now read it earlier? Well, if you did, I still want to lift up three other things that uh, we find in this really remarkable story. First, notice that the question that that, uh, Jesus asked Bartimaeus in verse 51 is the exact same question that he had posed to James and John in verse 36, just a little bit earlier. What do you want me to do for you? And what did James and John lobby for? They want a place of special status, of privilege when Jesus comes into his glory. James and John, friends and confidence of, confidants of Jesus, asked for this place of special status in God's kingdom, a request that revealed how they could not see Jesus for the Messiah that he truly was. So even though they've been students of Jesus for at least three years... James and John do not see clearly what Bartimaeus sees. And then Mark follows up that story, right, with what James and John had asked for immediately with Bartimaeus so that we can learn exactly what we should be asking for when Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? How about us? How how would you respond if Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? Come on. (laughs) You know, not our uh, dressed up for church answer. Would our request be similar to what James and John asked, special protection, favoritism? Or would our request be along the lines of Bartimaeus, a sincere plea to have our deepest brokenness healed? On the face of it, Bartimaeus seems to ask for something that might only benefit himself to see which, if we take it that way, isn't much different than what James and John had asked Jesus for. But in the follow-up, in verse 52, and there's a clue to this earlier, which I'll get to, but, but it becomes clear that Bartimaeus asked to see so that he can follow Jesus on the way. Not to just go off and Uh, live his life independent of Jesus. Bartimaeus reminds me of the lyrics of that uh, song, Day by Day, in the musical Godspell. Day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray, to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly, day by day. What a great prayer that would be to sing upon awakening in the morning. I mean, for me me to sing quietly (laughs) so I don't disturb the peace (laughs) of our home. But but, um, that's the difference between what James and John are asking and what Bartimaeus is asking. He wants to see so that he can love and follow Jesus more completely And that leads to a second thing I I, I think we would do well to see in the story. Right after uh, Jesus grants Bartimaeus an audience, verse 50 tells us, so throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, as I just said in the children's time, uh, cloaks at that time were sort of a, a, a license to, to seek alms, to beg. And, and, and beggars would wear specific cloaks to indicate that they did that. That's the way they got whatever they needed that would sustain their lives. Even more, that cloak might be a beggar's only possession. Possession. So, if a blind man, a sightless man, throws his cloak away into a crowd of people, he might not ever be able to find it again, if he turns out to be wrong about Jesus' ability to heal. Now, contrast that with the story we heard last week about the rich man who could not give up his possessions in order to follow Jesus. This is the critical thing to notice, that even before his sight is restored, Bartimaeus casts off the garb that up to this moment has really defined his life. Talk about a leap of faith. Bartimaeus is so confident that Jesus is the Messiah, a healing Messiah, that he acts in advance as if he's not going to need what has defined his life previously. Imagine that, casting off the ways that others have known you. Imagine uh, casting off the ways others defi- have defined you. Imagine casting off the way that culture has shaped you to be a certain way. Or imagine even, I know how some of us talk to ourselves, because I do it too. Imagine casting off the ways we've talked to and denigrated ourselves. Imagine casting that off. To let God wrap you in an entirely new cloak. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? When the son comes home, the father wraps him in a new robe. Finally, we need to see something uh, in the story that we all might struggle with from time to time. I said earlier that that James and John had been following Jesus closely for three years. Though they'd seen his dramatic signs, though they'd uh, seen his amazing healings, though they'd been present for the transfiguration, unlike Bartimaeus, they still couldn't see Jesus for who he was had they been disciples for so long that their excitement had waned? The excitement they felt when Jesus first called to them and told them to drop their nets. Had they been uh, traveling with Jesus for so long that they'd just begun to take too much for granted? Had they lost that passion that they had when they joined up with Jesus in the first place. Don't we know what it's like to become complacent? Showing up, but not really hoping for much. Or maybe we become so confident with what we've learned about Jesus over the years that we've actually begun to shut our eyes to seeing anything new. I mean, heck, some of us have been coming to church 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. No one else here are longer than Mary, but, you know. But we've heard it all, right? As a minister, I'm not immune. <laughs> you know, as a, as a pastor of the church, I can get so caught up in what I call administrivia that I lose the passion that I felt when God first called me to ministry when I was 12 years old I was sitting in the back of the church and I looked up and the seat that the pastor normally sat in was empty and I heard this voice that said sit there which scared me me greatly. <laughs> and then I felt that passion when I finally said yes to that call and drank up uh, the classes I was taking in seminary. And I, I do get that passion even now when, when something leaps out at me at Scripture that I hadn't seen before. But, but there are so many places where. Things can become dull within where our passion for Jesus does wane. And and so I think we need to rehearse those words of Bartimaeus. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, please help me to see. Help me to see. One scholar writes this after a whole series of episodes. In which the 12 disciples do not get it. Here, just before Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, is someone who gets everything right. Bartimaeus recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, gives up everything asking only for his sight so that he can follow Jesus on the way. And so this perfect disciple turns out to be a blind beggar sitting by the side of the road, yelling his head off for Jesus. When Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you may we be bold enough to say oh dear lord three things i pray to see thee more clearly to love thee more dearly and to follow thee more nearly day by day by day by day by day by day Amen.